Okay, we are back, guys. Me and Johnny here for another podcast, uh, this time with a new series. We are starting the movement series. Um, so just finished off the mindset block. I'm going to move into movement now, where you can expect more coaching on human movement, biomechanics, class type stuff. We're also going to keep the same format from last week, uh, last series there. So we're going to be doing the listener questions as the warm-ups. We're going to do um, a take on a popular fitness concept in the strength section. And we're also going to be uh, diving into movement in the workouts. Yeah. This week on the agenda, we have a listener question from Bryony about squatting for the long femur athlete. I feel your pain. I know, uh, I know how I don't. challenging that is. Uh, the strength section is uh, a comparison between fit aid and knocko in terms of health, which Johnny is primed and ready to attack. <laughs> and then we have a workout, which is all about drills. Okay, drills, drills, drills. What drills are helpful? When are they helpful? What drills are for? How um, to use them effectively? And then mine, we're finishing the show with mine and Johnny's top three favorite drills that helped us in the past. You know what came into my head when you went like drills, drills, drills? Yeah. Like, I got drills. I got it. You know that song, like I got bills, no? Okay, just me. <laughs> is that uh, Bruno Mars? No. No. I don't even know who it is. Well. But then another one when you. This is like, I'm going to be the drills, drills, drills. And I don't even know what that is even alluded to, but there you go. That's my head. I like it. Maybe we'll sing it at the end. Maybe. Maybe. Okay, into the warm-up then. So this question comes from Instagram. Thank you for sending your questions in, by the way, guys. Uh, it's useful. We have got a few from the last post that we did, so we'll be covering those in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and remember as well, if you want to stay anonymous, just let us know. Yeah. Um, Bryony didn't want to stay anonymous. Uh, and she asked the question, how do you improve squat depth for a long female athlete? And because this is the warm-up section of the class, and I don't want to spend the entire podcast ranting on about this, I'm going to try and keep it as short and sweet as possible and just try and be as helpful as possible in the limited amount of time that we have. So first thing to do is to get yourself on a heel block. Luckily, we have just invested in two squat heel blocks. Very as well. Yeah, solid. Yeah. Uh, so there's one at North Leeds and one at... Um, West Yorkshire, they they live underneath the whiteboard. Well, it's not there now. <laughs> Where is it? Last I time I saw it was over there. Usually it's going to be, we're going to say it's under the whiteboard from now. Uh, and um, yeah, if not, you can create this using plates. Um, it's not quite as ideal because you need quite a um, rigid and strong structure. If you can use the heel block, awesome. If not, then create one. Reason being is this is going to allow, this is something that I've changed my mind on in the last probably eight months to a year in that what I previously believed that doing something like that was a cheat or some sort of easy way and that actually, and that that would have no transfer into the squat without the heel block, which is completely wrong. And actually I realize now that doesn't make sense. And the only way you're going to train these positions and make them stronger is by artificially manufacturing those positions. Mm -hmm. So um, really changed my mind on that, like complete U-turn. I believe in using a heel block and to support that an anterior load. So if you're a long female athlete, I would try and avoid squatting with a posterior load. So majority of that's going to be done with a back squat. I would avoid back squats and I would use 
counterbalance, squats, front squats, goblet squats, anything in, when I say anterior, fancy word for forward, um, the front of the body towards the front. The reason being, the more anterior the load is, the better you can manage your center of gravity, i.e. you can pull your center of gravity back because you've got that counterbalance. And as a result, then you'll be able to sit deeper into a squat um, and therefore train the proper positions. So use a heel block, use an anterior load. Um, the next part of that is, is, is programming. It's quite interesting um, if you look in, into this based on, there's generally two types of people. You've probably seen that, Johnny, across your time training as well. You've got hingy people and you've got squatty people. Yeah. You're a squatter, aren't you? Yeah. I'm a hinger. Um, and so programming is really important because if I give, if me and Jack Turner do the same program, let's say we do a 10 rep max, I'm probably going to do two or three squatty reps and then the remainder, seven reps, is going to be hingy. I'm going to shoot my hips up and away from me and form some form of deadlift position and then push my hips forward underneath the bar at the end. That's more like a hinge. Jack, for example, he'll probably do eight squatty reps and maybe a couple of hingy reps at the end um, because that's his default. His default is to get his hips under the bar and just drive that bar vertically straight up. So programming is quite important. And if you're a long femur athlete, I would program shorter sets with more speed. The more I grind, the more I'm going to shift towards my pattern, which is mm -hmm. the hinge. The more Johnny grinds, the more he's going to shift towards his pattern, which is the squat. So grindy reps are going to work really well for Turner, for Johnny, for Tara. Squat, uh, grindy reps aren't going to help me with my squat pad. <laughs> They're going to make me worse, actually. And I've been through cycles where that's happened. Yeah. After grind, like each week, I've been like, I really need to work on my squat strength. So I'll go really heavy percentages and my squats not get any better. And the, re the reason for that is because when I grind out repetitions, I'm grinding them out in the hinge. I'm not grinding them out as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would have a look at the programming, try and do less volume, shorter sets with more speed. And just to finish this off, there's a brilliant uh, video on YouTube at the moment from the lads at Seeker Strength. Uh, the two Irish lads really into their Olympic lifting and you know, they produce content all the time. They're awesome. And they did a video probably about six months ago, and it was about how to squat for long female athletes. And they used uh, Nino Pizzolato. I think that's how you pronounce it anyway. Pizzolato, actually, probably. Maybe, maybe. Was it two Zs? Yeah, two Zs. Oh, yeah. um, and Nino uh, is a long female lifter. And basically, they followed him. And they noticed that he would never max out. Like he, he would always hit sub-maxable squats and they would be really fast. There'd be almost no grind. And they asked him like, why? And he was basically, in broken Italian, he basically told them that when he grinds out repetitions, he doesn't train his squat pattern. And that's, which is kind of what I was talking about before. So he's figured that out. He also does a slightly wider stance so he can push his hips in down underneath the bar rather than let them sit the back. Um, and he also has, um, yeah, a lot more speed in his repetitions. He trains speed. Yeah. And that comes down to what we mentioned in previous episodes, isn't it? About the movement pattern is more important than the weight lifted yeah. or the amount of reps. Like if you're, it, you can relate it to pull-ups and toes to bar, you know, if your first few reps look amazing and then your last few reps look shocking, what movement pattern are you trying to exactly, yeah. yeah. And so that, that's similar to you there. Like 
And how brilliant is it that that guy's a competitive weightlifter and never maxes out? Yeah. Like one, he never learns to fail. Mm. Like he's always succeeding in his lift. It's good for his confidence, yeah. And two, it's always super fast and technically sound. Mm. I mean, yeah. And I mean, this guy's an absolute beast as well. Like, I, I Well, and then so it clearly yeah. works, right? Yeah. You yeah. can clearly get stronger without maxing out. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I hope that's uh, useful for you, Bryony. And for anyone who's listening who's a long femur athlete, um, I'd use a heel block. I'd load anteriorly as much as possible. Uh, I'd keep your programming to short sets and keeping speed. And I would um, try and execute with a slightly wider base and try and let my hips come underneath the bar. The key when you're squatting as long femurs athlete is keeping your hips underneath the bar. The moment that your hips shoot back, you try and deadlift the weight, which you might get away with on a back squat. You definitely won't with a front squat or a clean, which is why those patterns are important. Okay, cool. I hope that is useful. Um, if you have any further, uh, want any further advice, Brian, you just see me in the classes. Well, I think what we might, because that was a really great um, layout altogether, but I think another thing to say would be, as you said, like people do have different natural patterns and their, you know, their limb length, their anthropometrics are going to pay uh, dividends to that. So mm-hmm. like some people are going to be more hindry, even if they try to be as squatty as possible and, and vice versa. Yeah. So you're always going to be dealing with your own personal mechanics. Yeah. Um, and the best thing that you can do is improve them to the best of your ability. And, and like what you said about like heel elevation and, and loading out the front and, and what we just said there about sub-maximal lifting, it's again, like take your lifts for as far as you can do it technically sound. And then yeah. if you're getting to a point where your depth is being compromised, it's like, well, does that count to you as a squat or is it better for you to do a sub-maximal lift and, and train a better pattern? Yeah. Sick. Right. On to the strength section then, which is a really interesting one this week, guys. It is kind of born from the members um, at North Leeds who a couple of them have asked this question or similar um, question to, it's not a question, but I've asked for guidance on this in the past. And the concept is that fit aid is healthier than knockout. Um, yeah, there is a perception probably from brand marketing packaging mm-hmm. that fit aid is a healthier alternative to a knocko drink and we've got a nutritional expert on this show so um, i'm really excited to hear his opinion on this yeah and it is a great question because it, this is like the age-old question of like well is this better for me if i do this or if i do this and i think this is when we really get into the weeds of it right because healthier compared to what like what are we defining as health what are we looking to achieve because you might say to me well there's a breakfast option having Weetabix is healthier than Cheerios and I'm like well why like because it's like lower calorie or higher fiber or like what is it like because if I'm yeah. about to run a marathon the Cheerios are probably better for me yeah what, what's the definition what, of health what yeah. is the definition of health yeah. and what we're looking to achieve here and I think this is where marketing gets you by the balls really for want of a better word mm. because they healthify everything mm. and, and these are called health halos as well where it's like high protein like low sugar, like low fat, like in the eighties, everything was low fat and mm. everyone was like, that's the pinnacle of health, right? Like low fat. Yeah. And then you know, nobody could get it up or had any energy. Um, and now it's all like high protein, low sugar. Like we've got a sugar tax on things because that's clearly going to help us out. It's not really doing anything. Mm. And, and we talked about that, didn't we? In terms of like lifestyle versus food. So yeah. the first thing you've got to ask yourself is like, well, what is the point of this drink that I'm having? They're both carbonated fitness beverages, which means that they're fizzy. And they're in the game of fitness because they have a combination of branch chain amino acids and caffeine, right? Fit Aid claim that they are all natural. 
because what they're doing is using naturally occurring sweeteners to make their drink. And they use a combination of erythritol and um, some like stevia extract. They also then use stabilizers like gums and other things. And then they use naturally occurring acids like citric acid, whatever, um, and, and things to flavor it, which is similar to NOCO, but what NOCO uses sucralose and sucralose um, is, is formed artificially, um, which is why it's not a natural ingredient. But the thing is, is that every even sucralose, aspartum, like even erythritol, which is naturally producing, like you need to extract that from like the vegetables and fruits anyway. And and things like sucralose and aspartum are combined together off of naturally occurring products anyway, right? And then this, this is where that whole argument of like, don't eat things you can't pronounce like falls down anyway, because things like ascorbic acid, citric acid, and like hydrobutamylated, like whatever, like they're just compounds, like they're chemical compounds and you're made of chemical compounds, like so am I, like that's just chemistry. So they're not really any different because they both have caffeine, they both have branched chain amino acids. We could get into the purpose of both of those into like sport and fitness if you'd like, like caffeine is helpful because it provides us with a, a quick dose of energy. There's there's evidence to show that it lowers the rate of perceived exertion in workouts, which means that you can kind of go harder in that workout. You've got to be careful with the strength of caffeine. I don't know the strength in fit aid, but I know the it's NOCO. 100 milligrams. Is it 100 megs? Mm-hmm. So it's like 80 megs lower than NOCO. So to be fair, like still, um, there's a debate on whether that would be effective for some people because your own personal metabolism of caffeine and your own body weight kind of all play a factor here. But NOCO is like three espresso shots, which is quite high. And if you're having that at like a five, six o'clock class, it's, it's probably going to affect your sleep because caffeine has... A half-life of four to six hours which means that four to six hours later there's still half of that in your system mm. and it breaks down every four to six yeah. hours by half right with branch chain amino acids there's this big buzz about that because of the they're the, the they're the building blocks of proteins mm. right and the thing is is that if you are getting enough protein throughout the day you don't really need branch chain amino acids it's like throwing a mug of water into a reservoir mm. it's like nice thanks for that but they taste nice they're carbonated and if you get a kick out of them then whatever yeah but i wouldn't say that there's any argument really for a healthier yeah they're just different there is a there is a placebo effect i think to to both of them 100 um, percent, and the placebo the, effect is well it works yeah well and it works right yeah because if you believe it's making you better than you are which we've just ruined for a load of well, that's the thing is the bit because like I, I joke about that all the time being like, man, I just wish someone would just give me roids and yeah. like tell me they're roids, but they're not roids. And yeah. then I can take, you know, and get because that was what the placebo effect did. It was with yeah. like performance enhancing drugs and the, you know, the, the, the group that took them actually obviously got the best gains, but the ones that took the placebo got better gains than the control group, like, like a significant, a statistically significant amount. So yeah, you're like, well, well, that is legit, like yeah. a cool thing. Um, so yeah, you know, believe all of the hype of these things if you have the funds to buy them and then you'll be a warrior. Yeah. The, yeah, just from my experience as a business owner and a, and a, a gym owner selling these things, um, the members of West Yorkshire will probably realize that I've like drawn down the knocko selection over time. Have you? Yes. And to a point where I even thought about removing them at one stage. Oh, controversial. Knocko, don't listen to this. I know. Just because... Just because I thought that 180 milligrams of caffeine in one hit was probably a little bit aggressive for general population, which is what we train. I feel like 180 grams of caffeine in one hit might be good for like an athlete who's actually training like four hours a day or whatever, you know, and 
have all their other life things in check. You oh, know, you know, take a couple of cans like, with you for a competition. Yeah, definitely. Cool, yeah. But I'm not sure really, like, I'm not sold basically on, on that being required, 180 milligrams required in, in a general population. I think you'd probably be surprised with the energy that you'd find off of like a decent night's sleep and yeah. things like that. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like maybe just having a normal That's coffee. not to say I'm against caffeine, by the way. No, because it's, it. it's, it's is proven as well as a yeah. ergogenic aid. The difference, I suppose, then between caffeine, uh, so coffee and those types of drinks is the antioxidants that's associated with the coffee. Is that right? Uh, well, the caffeine, be than when I was looking at the ingredients of both Nocco and FitAid, the caffeine yeah. seems to come from green tea extract. Um, so again, yeah, like you can argue that there are antioxidants in green tea and there are antioxidants in coffee. Um, and then the, there are associations with health benefits, just mm. like there are with having a glass of red wine. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the effect of caffeine is the effect of caffeine for a, from a performance standpoint. Yeah. Okay. But I know what you mean in terms of like, if you have a coffee, there might be other benefits that may not be there in the Nocco. Yeah. But then again, you just, it's like that comparison game. Like I'd rather have a coffee before I train. And that's just part of my morning routine anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's a fairly cheap thing to have at your house mm -hmm. rather than like a stock of knocko. Yeah. Agreed. Um, if you had to there choose. goes the sponsorship. If you had to choose. <laughs> fit aid or nothing? I've never had a fit aid. Whoa. I think I had one when I was in California back in like 20. They've got a new flavour out. Hawaiian. Have they? Hawaiian breeze or something Ooh. like that. <laughs> Some of the knocker flavors are decent. I, I think you know, the elderflower yeah. and caffeine ones actually. Decent. I think, I suppose, me and Johnny are on the same side here, and that's if you like them and you get a kick out of them and they're good for you, cool. But don't be taking them thinking that they're making you healthier. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, if you, if they're not denting your bank balance and you genuinely enjoy them, like have at it. Yeah. I really don't care. Yeah. But it's just a case of like, yeah. yeah, don't feel like you need to have them. It's it's definitely like marketing hype. Mm. Cool. Right on to the workout then, which is all about drills so uh, we're going to look at the purpose of drills how they should be performed uh, when they're helpful when they're not and also um, give our top three favorite drills so this is born from me watching people in open gym um, at both sides there's a dog going absolutely mental outside yeah i'm worried that there might be a couple of like <laughs> Um, yeah, so watching people doing drills during open gym or potentially this is actually born from frustration of watching uh, Instagram do like, do this drill and it will make your muscle insert any movement better. Mm -hmm. I hate those because I feel like they're all context specific. Um, yeah. And so I've, I would like to start the workout with a beware of the Instagram drill. Which I think is cool, like people putting these drills on, um, you know, trying to help. But I feel like they're only useful if they're done properly. So this is the education on how to do them properly, right? Yeah. So for me, a drill is about automating. Oh man, those dogs have got to go. <laughs> We're just going to have to blur through them. Maybe we can edit out background noise on a later date. Yeah. It's gone. Um, so the drills um, are for, what are they for? Drills are for automating a part of a movement or the sequence of a movement. In the military, we do drills all the time, right? It's where that's, that comes from, drill. Drill in the military is where you march around and you do all you know, steps and things like that. 
Um, and it's about sequencing big parades. It's about sequencing moves. And we also do drills for regular, you know, things that happen at war. For example, one of the things you'll do over and over again when you're an infantry is a contact drill, which means what do you do when you get shot at? Because it needs to be an automatic response. Yeah. Automatic responses are faster, slicker, and more effective. So literally, you just practice over and over and over and over again the same thing until you're not even thinking about it and you're just doing it. That is what a drill is for. It's not for learning. So let's say, for example, in the gym context, you don't do a drill to learn how to do a muscle-up. You do a muscle-up to try and learn how to do a muscle-up. And when things go wrong, you can dissect it and go, that didn't go wrong. That, sorry, that didn't go well. Or I didn't do that part. I pulled too early with my arms. Then you use the drill to fix from the learning. Mm -hmm. So it moves me on to the first question, which is when are drills helpful? I think drills are helpful to take away one of the many things you have to think about. So let's say, for example, all of these complex movements, probably the most complex one we're going to do is the snatch. If, if you have to think about, oh, I need my knees out in the setup, I need my head and chest up. When I pull, when I get through to the second pull, I need to have my weight forward. And then when I jump, I need to pull with my arms and bring my elbows up high and then turn over. If you're thinking about all those things, it's not going to work because you've got too many things to think about. Part of it has to become automatic. Part of it has to become a flow. So we can take one of those things and remove them by using a drill. Let's say, for example, your weight shifts back too far on your first or second pull. One of the drills I'm going to talk about later, the plate drill, if you do over and over and over again, reps and reps and reps of the plate drill, you don't have to think about that first bit. It is, removes one of those um, things you're thinking about. I think they're also helpful to fix a fault. So say someone's learned to bar muscle up with an early arm bend. You can use a drill to, once you've figured that out, go, oh, I'm pulling too early with my arms. You can use a drill to then get rid of that. Um, yeah. Because often people have ingrained that movement pattern. So they need to go back and make it automatic and ingrain the proper. So this is where, because we'll go on to when a drill is a hindrance and when are they helpful. But the thing with the drill, like you said there, like you can't have a million things in your head to think yeah. about, right? And that's what you see when you teach a new person a snatch. You just yeah. see the head going at like a million miles an hour. And I think that's also the issue of like having an on-ramp or a class where maybe the everybody needs to kind of get the same outcome, whereas you could break a class down. Like this would be my way of small group training now would be like break a class down by, by ability almost and say like, right, you know, if they're advanced, like, okay, guys, we're going to build up to every single one snatch. Like yeah. I'm going to come over and check you guys in a minute. Intermediates, we're going to work on a high hang snatch. And then like, hey, you guys, we're going to do some tall snatches or some overhead squats over here. Yeah. And then you like, you, you let them in gently. Yeah. But you're right in that I, I tell people when they're doing drills to focus on the feel, mm, yeah. not, what the, not what the head is doing. Yeah. Because as you just said there, it's automatic and it's done because you feel it, right? And so when a bad movement pattern comes in, your body's either compensating or it just goes back to what it knows. But if you then do it right, you then need to think rather than like think logically, okay, how did I do that? What did I do with my elbows? It's like, how, how did, did that, that feel? feel? Yeah, exactly. And if you recreate the feel, you're going to learn much quicker. Yeah. And... So then, yeah, moving on in terms of when a drill is helpful, then that's a good one. First one is when it's only helpful, the drill is only helpful in that you are performing the movement as it should be performed. Yeah. So in, to use Johnny's context, when it feels right. 
Um, so I have seen a little bit of that. Um, I'm not going to call anyone out. But See, like, people are going to be so self-conscious yeah, in the open gym now. They're going to be like, so. is Max here? Like, I'm watching, oh, yeah. Shit, I've got a band around my ass. Like, <laughs> am I doing it right? People doing drills that are not how the movement will be performed. Well, we need Actually. a shy fit library of drills for YouTube. Okay, right? let's do it. Yeah, because yeah, then, then we can say, right, you, here you go. Yeah, and this I, is I how you execute it. I think that's a great idea. That, that's, oh, sorry, I YouTube have, search, doesn't yeah. it? Of like, shit, how do I do this? I shouldn't have said that, by the way. I shouldn't have said good drills, because there's no good drills or bad drills. It's no. how they're executed. It's and it's got to be right for the person, which yeah. again, sometimes yeah. you need to ask a coach for some feedback and say, look, I'm struggling with this part yeah. of the movement. Would this drill help? And I think then that clarifies the issue. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay, so when are they a hindrance? The opposite, okay? When you're doing the drill without the correct form that you're going to need to actually transfer over. An example of this, you're doing a hips to bar for a bar muscle up, but you're doing it with a bent arm. It means that you're reinforcing the wrong pattern. If you pull early with your arms, you're not going to get as efficient a muscle up. Potentially, you're not going to get the muscle up. So the drill would be ineffective in that case and become a hindrance to you. You should be reinforcing the wrong pattern. Okay, um, how to use drills effectively. So find, look at your movement. Let's say you miss a muscle up or you miss a snatch. Look at it, find the fault or ask a coach to find the fault. And then once you've found the fault, find the drill that's going to help you do that. An example would be if I'm early arm bending in my Olympic lifts, which is a very common one for a lot of people, the drill for stopping an early arm bend, or one of the drills for stopping an early arm bend, would be pausing in the power position. So you pause with long arms. You then perform the snatch from a long arm position in the power. Now, that is only effective if you have long arms in the pause position. If you then initiate with an arm bend, mm -hmm. then you're doing the wrong drill. Pause positions can get dicey as well because they can be uncomfortable and then people can sit back too much and then you're out of position. Mm. So you're right in that like there's quite a few things you need to think about and yeah. dissecting the movement is great so that you know exactly where in the pattern you might be creating an error yeah. and then you can start to think about how to fix it rather than focusing on, again, what you're doing wrong, focus on what you need to do right. Yeah, and then become create a drill that fixes that or creates that. Yeah, because if you think don't bend your arms early, <laughs> you're going to bend your arms early, yeah, yeah. right? Don't think of a polar bear. Yeah. Like, I can think about polar bears. Yeah. Shit. Right, so you need Stretch to think about the positive reinforcement so that you drill that yeah um okay so moving on to our top three drills to finish then so um i'm gonna do i'll do all of mine for, or should we do one you go i go yeah let's go you, you go, go i go, go. we'll make it so, work out for me yeah <laughs> uh, let's go my first one is the toes hips knees drill this is for people who are trying to learn muscle up it's from cal paleoli it was like 10 years ago. He's like an old school gymnastics coach from CrossFit, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just named called Carl Paoli, not Carl Garlic Paoli. It's called Paleoli. No, it's, it's, it's Paoli, surely. Paoli, Paolioli or something. I've just been saying it wrong the whole life. Carl, it's like Carl Paoli. Paoli. I literally had a, have had oh. a class taught by him at San Francisco CrossFit. Okay, so how do you say his name? Paoli. I've been calling Paleoli for Yeah, so like Paleo Garlic Paoli. Good job. Paoli. Good job. I know. Yeah. I've never met him. He'll never listen Carl, to this. I'll send uh, it to him. What's he called? Carl Paoli. Carl Paoli, from him. Basically, um, it's, let's say for the rings, you put a band underneath your hips. Um, the first thing you do is raise your toes, and that's by creating a nice hollow position. Second thing you do is raise your hips by driving your heels down to the ground and you end up in a nice arch position. 
And then the last thing you do is knees, you pull and tuck your knees in towards your chest. Doing that drill broken down will show you where you're going wrong. So you're either pulling early, uh, sorry, not raising your toes. You're either pulling too, uh, too early with your arms on your hips drill, or you're not tucking your knees underneath and pulling hard enough uh, in the uh, finish. So I love that drill. It's really good. Yeah, his, um, his YouTube channel is actually Mint. And the drill I'm about to talk to you about is from his channel as well, as is my second favourite. Lovely. Um, because when I was starting off as a coach and living in London, our gym was like, here are the weightlifting progressions you teach the class and they were all yeah, channels. Yeah, yeah. And then all of the gymnastic stuff was Oops. Carl Paoli. Carl Paoli. <laughs> um, so your top, top drill? Yeah. So, I mean, it was hard to like... Uh, choose a top three to be fair but this one is a good one for overall hip extension as well and it's useful for your handstand push-ups so what the hip extension by the way is a universal movement through crossfit and and i think not enough people train that as it is through things like broad jumps reverse med ball throws uh knee box jumps things like that just to like literally prime the hip extension but what you do is that you get into a headstand position. You can use a mat for your head to uh, get into a comfortable position and you get into that uh, tripod position where your hands are just in front of your head. Um, and you're kind of creating like a triangle between the two points of your hand and where the top of your head goes. And you make sure that you're on the flat of your head, which is where you're going to be in the bottom of a handstand push-up. So what you want to do is get into a headstand position, but what you do is you keep your knees tucked into your chest. So you're getting used and you, you can do this against a wall, but you can do it freestanding as well. And what you then aim to do is you want to kick yourself back and then finish in a push-up position because what you're practicing is the kick of the knees and the hips before you push with the arms because that's how you want to do it with a handstand push-up, mm. right? So if you can do that and you can do that really quickly and you can get really aggressively into a full push-up position, like a full straight yeah, arm Yeah, just, just to clarify for people listening, I know this is hard. As we're talking That's what I mean. Through. But Johnny's talking about finishing in the press-up position, yeah, not the handstand position. So you finish in the top of a yeah. push-up position, so as in like forearm plank, sorry, not forearm plank, straight arm plank. So you're kicking back and out rather than up, mm. but it transfers to kicking up because it, does, it is yeah. the same position. And and what you'll find is that if you're doing that too slowly, or you're literally just falling, you just you're not kicking. No. And so you need to drill that over and over and over again, and then you can do it against a wall. Obviously, against a wall, you have the more body weight to push up overhead, and that's another thing about strength, but... No, I like it. That's movement. It's a good one. Um, my number two is the tall snatch. I do this a lot with people. This basically teaches you how to get underneath the barbell. So it's like doing just the third pull. So you start with the bar at your hips, stood tall, shoulders back, behind the bar, head up, hips and knees extended. And there's absolutely zero jump. So you're not doing a hang snatch. It's not a high hang snatch. There's zero jump. You just pull with your arms and get into the bottom position. That could be power or squat, depending on what you train. This is for people who can throw the bar up so high, but cannot catch the bar. So for someone who, um, when they get to their max weight, they pull the bar up to chin height, but for some reason can't catch it. Yeah. People who power more than they squat, this is a useful drill. There's loads of you know positives for it, but basically all it does is teach you to get into the bottom, which is really important when you get to those heavier weights. Yeah, I love the tall snatch, it's a good one. Um, my second one was a muscle-up drill, but you can use it for rings just in a slightly different way, but 
We have a couple here, the like extensions on the rig, the bars that you kind of clip in. Um, they can be a bit rickety. Yeah. It's probably the only thing that stops people from using You, you could um, bind a barbell in for this if you wanted to. Yeah. yeah. Bind yeah, a yeah. barbell in with um, bands. Yeah. So you can create a solid horizontal bar basically. And what you'll have is a box out in front of you. Um, that is lower than that bar that you have your legs out straight on and then you've got this bend in your hips. So you're, you're hanging below the bar with a bend in your hip and the feet on the box and then we might um, link the videos to these in the show notes because then people can watch them, can't they? We can. And then um, what you do then is, it's a, again, it's a practice. It's similar to your toes, hips, knees. Yeah. You're practicing that hip pull, um, that hip extension, sorry, and then the pull of the arms but what you're doing is actually then finishing that around. Yeah. the top of the muscle up but what i tell people to do is to try and keep as close to the bar as possible because it's very very because with a ring muscle up people try and get over on top of the rings and it's like you're just never going to do that you're going through the rings if anything else you're, your gravity is literally um pivoting from here to through the rings so that you end up in the bottom of the ring dip position likewise in a bar you're ending up in the bottom of that dip position aren't you you're not ending up as a as a put like a what would be an uprise yeah. where you end up with straight arms. So not unless you're tired. Exactly. So if you can like get your hip extension and then pull through into that bottom of a bar dip position, that's going to then help you drill that part of the muscle. Third one and final one for me is the plate drill. Um, this is for fixing foot pressure on any movement. So if your foot pressure is not right, i.e. you're not staying in the midfoot, maybe you can see your toes coming up, winking during movements generally happens during the Olympic lifts in the middle portion of the lift. Sometimes it happens on kettlebell swings, sometimes even on squats. You see people with, um, you know, raising their toes as they sit back into a squat. You literally just block your feet up on two plates, just two 2.5 kilo plates. You put your midfoot on the plate and leave your heel hanging off slightly. This is then the kinesthetic cue for you the awareness that if you shift too far back with your weight your heel will touch the floor and it'll feel not very nice and you'll be like ah oh, i've got this wrong so yeah i love that drill really good for teaching people to manage their foot pressure yeah great tactical drill um yeah and then my last one was the snatch or clean lift off yeah and the lift off is that very first portion from the ground to the knee and the reason why I love this so much is because, uh, as I said about like pause snatches, sometimes people sit back too much and like lose position, lose that tension. If you're pulling around your knee on that first part of the lift, you're going to be out of position pretty quickly in terms of you're going to be too upright, you're going to be trying to extend too early. And so with that top, that first position of a snatch or a clean, right, we're in a very different position to the deadlift with our knees over the bar and with our chests up and that first lift, everything from your hips to your shoulders wants to stay the same. And literally the only thing you're doing is starting to extend the knees. And so your hamstrings need to be lit. Your shoulders are over and in front of the bar. You're still looking up and forward, but you're over the bar rather than behind the bar. So you'll see too many people pull and they'll end up here mm. where their shoulders are behind the bar above the knee. This is terrible for the video. <laughs> right there yeah. rather than sort of there. Um, and the lift off maintaining is the back angle, isn't it? You so maintain it the, the hip and the shoulder angle exactly the, the same. Squatter or the stripper. Exactly. So it's like, yes, because you're not going too far over either. Yeah. Mm. So like that start position, if that's here, you literally want that to be there. And you just and if you do that under tempo, so like a really slow lift, a pause, and then a really slow down rather than just letting it drop down again as well. Mm. Really good. Good drill. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, it's like 
Also really good for teaching people how to create tension off the floor, isn't it? Well, because you know, I mean, tension. so much of fitness is about speed, isn't it? I think so many people just get used to like yanking things up as fast as possible and then dropping mm. them, yeah. which means that there's like absolutely no control on the eccentrics for so many things. Yeah. Whereas the more we can use tempo so, and lifts. Yeah, the lift off that Johnny's on about is just up to just above the, the knees. knees and then back down. Um, wicked. Those are um, our three top drills, guys, and also a um, run through of what drills are, when they're effective, and when they're not. Um, I would urge you, if you're using a drill, to do lots and lots and lots and lots. Drills aren't the type of thing you're going to do like a couple and everything's going to get better. You have to literally repeat, 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 repeat. The beauty of a drill is that you can use that as your warm up. Yeah, they are wicked for warm-ups, yeah. Cool. Right, guys, um, hope you enjoyed that. That's the first uh, podcast for the movement series. How long is our movement series? Is it another eight-week eight eight week accumulation block? Eight-week block. <laughs> eight-week block uh, with no deload in the middle. And, yeah, hope you enjoy it. Keep the questions coming. Keep liking and subscribing to the show. Liking, following, subscribing to the show. Share, share it, yeah. Share yeah. it if you found it useful but not to knock off the head. Please. <laughs>